love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. This version of me that is helpful, is productive, always positive, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when I actually need to ask something of you? What I really want, which is to be known for all of who I am in a deeper way, I can't just show up as the shiny version of myself. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Ineacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram and help you build better relationships. Today, we are continuing our series on the nine desires. Listen, if you haven't already, go back, listen to episode 85 with Dr. Kurt Thompson to hear some of the foundation that we have built around exploring our desire. Every episode, we are looking at two foundational ideas. Number one, God created humans to desire. He created you to breathe. Yes. He created you to desire. Yes, and sleep. Yes. And yes, you're allowed to do it. God wants you to do it. And number two, our desires are drawn toward what we find beautiful. Mm-hmm. So whatever those desires are, even if you don't see the beauty, keep digging because we are naturally drawn to God's big B beauty, you mm-hmm. know, because all truth is God's truth and all true beauty is from God. Mm. So in this episode, we're going to focus on a specific desire. We're going to focus on the desire to be valuable, the desire to be validated. Mm -hmm. So this desire to be valuable is closely tied to the desire for identity and relationship because we often don't feel like we know what our value is if we don't see the look in somebody else's face, somebody else's words telling us, yes, you have value. So I'm searching for who I am, you know, what my worth is in relation to myself and also in relationship with others. So if you find this to be one of your really core driving motivators, you may have high type three, you may be core type three or a member of the heart triad. Yeah. But one of our themes that we're hitting throughout this whole series is the idea that we have all nine of these desires. So even if you're like, I don't really feel like heart triad, I don't really feel like a core three. Yeah. Our hope is that you do have a healthy dose of this desire, but at some level, we all have it. It's there. So when it comes to the desire to be valuable, we have three paths that we can take. We're going to take a look at what happens when the desire to be valuable becomes exaggerated, what happens when it becomes diminished, and what does the desire to be valuable look like when it's healthy? So first things first, let's talk a little bit about what it looks like when the desire to be valuable becomes exaggerated. So this little tiny cell, atom, you know, like it's like, I just want this thing. But actually we slice it in half, the atomic bomb goes off, our whole life becomes driven and overtaken by this desire. What yes, is going on there? that is a great visual. When this longing is distorted, you know, we go into that false self. We are we take our desire to be valuable and validated and our for our essence and we settle for being successful. You know, that we have this quest for success because then people tell us, "Oh, you did such a good job. Oh, you're such a good person. Oh, you're so strong, you're so talented, whatever it is." And that makes us deceitful. Mhm. And just like pride, we don't look at twos and think those people are prideful. The same with the three. It doesn't mean they're liars. It means they are fooling themselves and others to believe that we are what we achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my value. This is all there is. Mm-hmm. Because we don't feel like we will be truly loved for our authentic self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Donald Miller's book, Scary Close. And he's got this great quote in there that he says, applause is a quick fix 
Love is an acquired taste. Mm. And Donald Miller himself identifies as a type three. And that book really is the his journey going from being a very unhealthy three towards trying to become a much healthier type three. So when we talk about the exaggerated desire to be valuable, when you need the applause, you need the constant admiration, you need the goo-goo eyes from everybody. They're, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Um, we have to consider the role that grief and trauma may have played in our story. Yeah. Um, those of us who have this really exaggerated uh, desire for uh, the need to be valuable, um, we may have experienced themes of performance, uh, yeah. themes of achievement, that there's some way in which as children, we got the message that our own feelings, our own identity mm-hmm. are really irrelevant. No yeah. one's going to applaud that. Right. No one's going to show up and go, oh, you're amazing. You needed to craft yourself into, to, into a form that was worthy of admiration. Yeah. And here's the deal. The greater the fear that you are worthless or that you will become worthless, the more tempted you're going to be to exaggerate your pursuit of value. You're going to overcompensate for what, whatever it is that you think you lack. Right. And I would argue that all of us in the United States in our formative years have experienced these themes. So I think many of us find this to be a driving force because we live in a world that used to be, you know, kind of that pull yourself up from your bootstraps, get it done. You know, anyone can be a millionaire. Now a millionaire isn't even enough, you know. And then now we live in a culture that's all about social media and technology. So we literally have a system where you can create a persona and portray it to the world. And people will literally like it or unlike it. And that will declare how much value, a.k.a. money, Mm -hmm. you will make. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like drugs for this, you know, unhealthy three stuff Mm -hmm. that we all have. We all Mm -hmm. have all the desires. Yeah. If I carry an intrinsic sense that I'm worthless and then I go online and I get, you know, 5,000 likes on something. Yeah. Well, that feels pretty good when you feel insecure. Yeah. But you got to post again. Yeah. In 30 minutes or an hour. That's right. Or tomorrow. You know, it's like it never satisfies. So if you are living with that regular fear that you may be worthless deep down, that you're insignificant, that you're vacant. Here's a question to ask. What has happened in my formative years where I felt like I wasn't allowed or valued for my own feelings or identity? And what small step can I take today to acknowledge this wound and begin the work of letting it heal? What goes unhealed goes septic. Yeah, yeah. Whatever we refuse to acknowledge, we are also refusing to let God do work right. in. And here's the deal. I mean, you've said it. Like, it's just such an addictive age yeah. to be just very image-driven and to be, you know, I got to create and craft myself mm-hmm. or else. Yeah. Or else. Okay, so that's what it looks like when it's exaggerated. We get into persona. We get into, we make ourselves into these caricatures in order to get people to clap for us. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all those things. Let's talk a little bit about what happens when the good desire to be valuable is diminished. Like, these people are just like, I don't particularly care if other people think I'm valuable or not. I don't particularly care if other people are going to look at me and affirm me or not. Don't care. Right. Doesn't matter to me. What's going on? Right. So the basic rule we've been talking about is that when any core desire, you know, whatever those driving desires are, become exaggerated, they demand all the other desires either serve it or be slain by it. You know, they're going to become diminished. And one interesting thing about the Enneagram is to me is always I mean, there's so many things. <laughs> if I teach a class on my own, I always catch myself saying, isn't that so interesting? Because <laughs> it's just so like... <laughs> But why? But it works. <laughs> that, that the three and the four are next to each other mm-hmm. in the heart triad can feel like such a pendulum swing. Because here you have someone who says, my internal self does not really matter. It's this like outer casing that I create. It's this image. And I'm just looking for other people to tell me that I'm succeeding and that I have some value. And then their very next door neighbor is saying, screw all that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care what anyone else is saying. The only thing that matters is this core 
who I perceive myself to be mm-hmm. and in differentiation from everyone mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. you know, so they can kind of help each other out. Mm-hmm. But you could see how if you had a lot of core four or other, there's many types that you would diminish any any outside validation mm-hmm. or giving of validation mm-hmm. because you're hyper-focused on your own internal worth or thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you find in yourself you don't have much of this desire, it, it doesn't drive you, it doesn't compel you, yeah. you're not actually even particularly inclined to give it to other people, to really seek out, like, how can I make other people feel valuable yeah. and validated yeah. today? If that's just not going on for you, there are questions to ask. Do you worry that this desire to uh, to be valuable in some way is a threat to your identity, as you've just said. Yeah. You know, maybe you've got a lot of that Enneagram 4 energy and you're like, no, because I'm not going to change who I am. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need to change who you are, but in some way, is it actually the desire for authenticity that says mm-hmm. the desire to be valuable is no good? Do you worry that it's somehow going to restrict your freedom um, the desire to say, hey, listen, it means a lot to me when other people validate me, to acknowledge yeah. that. Uh, do you worry that it will somehow threaten your security? Yeah. That if other people are aware, hey, I, I really want to be valuable, but I might fail. Yeah. You know, I may not I be able to do it. it. If you don't care much about being valuable and accomplishing something worthwhile in your life, ask yourself, what competing desire do you have that feels threatened by this one. Right. Okay. That's a lot of... That's a bunch of bad news. Uh, if you stayed with us, we're going to turn a corner now. Yes. Disclaimer, we know there's lots of force that care about validating other people. Yeah. If they're like, you don't know me. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to oversimplify. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's, it's everyone's complicated. But let's look at what the desire to have value and be validated looks like when it's healthy. The framework we're going to use for that is what Jesus has told us our chief desire is to be, and that is to love God and love other people as we love ourselves. Yes, yes. It's our lifelong pursuit of learning to love and be loved. Yeah. Um, So when this shows up as our true self in Christ, who we are, hidden in Christ with God, what does it mean when we begin to believe that we inherently, in our existence— because God has bestowed value on us, we are valuable. What happens when we live from that place? Well, we end up being people that live into gifts of being honest, wanting to show up and contribute to the community around us, of wanting to go, I've got all of these different gifts and I want to steward these gifts and you've got these gifts and I want to draw these gifts out of you as well. Mm -hmm. And we end up leaning into, you know, we see Jesus throughout the Gospels talking about the kingdom of God. He's painting this picture, this mm-hmm. image mm-hmm. of the already and the not yet. And Healthy 3 taps into that stuff. You know, that desire to be valuable goes, gosh, what is already good that's here? Yeah. And what is it that is not yet? And how can we begin to work towards that? Uh, where is God at work now? And where is God leading us? Let's yeah. let's move towards that together. Yeah. So we're able just to rest in the fact that God loves our unedited self. We do not feel as though we've got to always be generating, always be producing, always make sure we have our best face on, all of that yes. stuff. We're able to go home and we're able to like be a hot mess and God loves us just as much in that moment as when we are killing it. Yes, and I like the way you um, put that because it shows that if you have a lot of this desire, you probably will be out in the world communicating you're very you're visionary you're doing the good work but the difference is you're able to go home and rest that that isn't what tells you who you are Mm -hmm. is that work that you do Mm -hmm. and what we're saying is when you're walking in the spirit you're counteracting that deceit Mm -hmm. that mask you're you're taking it off and you're able to be truthful which we define as being habitually honest authentic and in touch with your own true feelings without needing the positive regard of others. And this practice of truthfulness combined with their vision and drive leaves them living for the glory of God, pursuing personal relationships, and balancing 
rest and work. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to live from a place of worthiness yeah. as opposed to an attempt to earn worthiness. Yes. yes. So, I mean, I think about this. I think about there's no more compelling communicator in the history of the world than Jesus himself. And you look at Jesus and he had the ability to captivate crowds, to captivate children, to captivate the Romans, like just this incredible ability to communicate in a way that's like people like, oh my gosh, this vision's incredible. In our modern age, we would say, well, if you're going to use that gift with wisdom, your crowd needs to keep growing. Your Instagram account needs to go up. Your YouTube account needs to go up. Your company needs to grow. Charge it's more all by about, the hour. <laughs> yeah, growth, 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 growth. And instead, we see Jesus over and over again going, well, that's a line I can't cross because it will require me in some way to be deceitful, in some way to sell a line that's not true, uh, to be inauthentic to who I am as God. So... I think a really perfect example of this is like, you know, he goes, he communicates, the zealots are like, you're incredible, and they try to make him king. I mean, the Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah to come, and the zealots are like, here's our boy, he's going to do it, be our figurehead, lead us in the revolt against Rome. Yeah, and he's like, no. And it didn't just cost him, he didn't gain fame and followers, but they actually turned against him. Yeah, It was actually a decrease. And I think in that way, Jesus just models we are not designed to live a life of metrics where our value bank account goes up and down depending on the opinions of other people. But we live from a place where God has bestowed us with value. It's permanent. It's done. It can never change. And when we live from that, we're then able to show up and to really walk with Jesus in a way that is free and good and delighting. And so this desire to be valuable, it begins to be fulfilled. We show up and we give to others, but we also want other people to feel valuable as well. our notes on the desire to be valuable, but we want to hear from someone that identifies this desire as a driving force in their own personality. So today we are talking with Dr. Allison Cook. Allison is a psychologist and author. Her newest book is The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, and Discover Your True Self in God. For 20 years, Allison has helped ministry leaders, couples, women, and families learn how to heal painful emotions, develop confidence, forge healthy relationships, and live out their God-given potential. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we are really excited Mm -hmm. to talk with you. Let's start here. So in Enneagram theory, the core desire for the type three is to be valued or to have significance. Like a newborn baby, they're looking for somebody, looking for them, and then loving Mm -hmm. them for who they are. Does this resonate with you, this search for significance? And do you have an early memory that reflects that desire? Yeah, it does. It took me a long time to realize I was a three. I, for about 10 years, thought I was a two. And so it was about three or four. I have to just give that caveat because it was about four years ago that I had this sort of really life-changing experience in my small group where sort of the veil was lifted and I realized the thing beneath the thing was actually a three Mm -hmm. driving. Because for me, it's a search for visibility. I felt invisible. That's how I would put it. And I write about this in The Best of You. I call it the armor of invisibility. And as a three, that's a little bit confusing because I was taught and I you know, I was raised to think it was bad to have goals. I shouldn't want success, especially as a woman. I was in a small town, um, a very Christian family, a wonderful family. But there were some of these messages. And then the, just in the way that Um, sort of my family operated. I was the youngest. I was the quietest. I had these sort of quiet ambitions, these quiet dreams, but I felt like I felt a lot of shame about them. So what I did is I put this, what I call in the best of you, this armor of invisibility on it. And it's almost like I, I, that was how I, I tried to be so good 
at showing up for everybody else. It was like my three way of sneaking Mm -hmm. into that three desire to be somebody or to be significant. But I actually did it in a paradoxical way. I did it through trying to be invisible. But underneath that is just this deep desire to be seen, to have somebody say, you're amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I worked so hard to be amazing at affirming everybody else that that became my way of trying to be visible. So that's kind of what it looked like for me. And I, I love talking about this because I, I think that the, the Enneagram, you know, for me, there was shame in realizing, like, I was kind of proud when I thought I was a two. I'm like, I'm a great two. I'm a great <laughs> Enneagram two, right? Yes. And, and I know that kind of defies all the Enneagram rules, right? If you're really proud of it, it's probably not the right number. But it, it took me a lot. I was like, no, no, no. That is who I am. I help other people, right? And then to realize, oh, my gosh, for me, that the deception, right, of the three wasn't about aggrandizing myself. It was about kind of lying about who I really was and what I really wanted, Mm -hmm. you know, about hiding those dreams about living a big, bold life. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that that's a little bit of a long winded way of answering your question. It was really about visibility. I felt very unseen. I felt very invisible. I felt like I couldn't I talk and and the best of you about trying to be a part of the sixth grade play. And I I wanted to be the queen of hearts. That was the role I wanted. You know, she was this big, bold, brash character and I got the role, but I couldn't do it. I didn't have the core strength. And so I had the costume I was all ready to go. That's what I really wanted. And when I got on stage, I just, I I crumbled. I crumbled and I fell off the stage and it's this huge shame. It was a failure, Mm -hmm. right? It was my first failure and I could mark the failures, right? But it was a failure in my mind, in my heart, how I experienced it. it was a failure of visibility. I couldn't tolerate being seen, even though I desperately wanted it. Wow. And so that was sort of the tension, the, the, the pain inside of me. And so how I coped was just to put the spotlight on everybody else as best as I could, you know. Cool. Um, but that didn't really get that core need met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the desire to be seen and the inability to tolerate it. I mean, mm. that is just such yeah. a, yeah. like that just resonates so much. And here's what's fascinating. And, you know, listeners, I promise at some point I will address this in more length, uh, <laughs> you know, but um, all throughout this, you know, I've been doing this podcast for five years or so. And uh, I've always talked about myself as a type four. And through a bunch of different life events in the last couple of years, I have come to realize, no, I'm I'm actually, I'm a type three. Yeah. And I think that, Allison, even what you're talking about, you know, our psychological defense mechanism is identification. It's this idea that what we have this unbelievable ability to see what other people value and then to mm-hmm. take it into ourselves mm-hmm. and to go, exactly. this is who I can be in our search for significance. And so there are a lot of threes that we kind of figured out a little late in the game. Mm-hmm. And it, and I think it's because yeah. we are so terrified. If I identify as a three, am I also giving up some of my significance? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's like the charade. Like That's a really well put because it's to me, it felt like the Wizard of Oz. It's like when you peel back the veil and it's like, oh, that's what's underneath there is just this desire for, yeah, it kind of feels, um, there's a little bit of shame in that. It's interesting. I, it, it's also the performer part of the three, right? Like we can perform, we figure out what the need is. And, you know, so for me in my context, in my small town, the need was, or the, the way to be valued was to really focus on other people and not be larger than life. Yeah. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we will continue our conversation on desire with Dr. Allison Cook. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, Go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, 
grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love That Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Hey, welcome back to the Cast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we have been talking with Dr. Allison Cook, and we're talking about desire today. So, Allison, let me ask this. Okay, so your type 3, your primary way of sort of moving in the world follows the patterns of a type 3 uh, largely. So you, you're really gifted, you know, at presenting. Like, you, you know, that's one of the great gifts of the three is, you know, you just said it, excellence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking with you now. You're an excellent communicator. Mm-hmm. You've written this wonderful book. Like, you can get out there and you can kill it. Like, we, we have mm-hmm. experienced you enough to know that you're <laughs> capable of that. The question is this. What are the contexts and the places where you truly can let your guard down? How do you differentiate between the public you and the private you? What are things that you do that, you know, help you get off the stage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of things. I'm very intentional about that. Number one, this family, my family that I married into, very different from me. That that's the place where I can let my hair down um, the most. Um, not performers in that same sense. So I did not, um, and that's helpful to mm-hmm. me. They're my biggest uh, cheerleaders and my biggest. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they just take take me down all the time. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not impressed with me yes. in the best mm-hmm. way. And I've adult. They're my my kids are adults now. They're twenty three and twenty one, and it's the best sort of you know just like <laughs> Jesse. That's like your kids are like, oh, you wrote a book. What? Oh, my oh, kids. My no. kids are psyched. No big deal. They, well, they, they oscillate between like, Dad, you're famous. And then they'll go like, you're lame. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's like, all in the same. Oh, yeah. and, yeah. and I'm like, exactly. I'm like, first, I'm not famous and I'm not lame. So you're <laughs> wrong on both middle. counts. <laughs> exactly. They're the best. Um, and then there are some other things I do. I mean, I'm very conscious and very intentional about like, there are things I don't excel at. For example, I talk about this all the time. I'm like, in my my living space, you know, like I, my, you know, I, I, I I'm, I let my hair down in the sense of, and, it, and it's almost a metaphor, right, for what I what I won't do in life. Like I, I don't really enjoy. Um, this sounds really dumb, but I, t- I talk about this as an example. I don't really enjoy decorating my home. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not good at it. I derive no pleasure of it. The only reason I would do it is to impress other people. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. And you know, I happen to be married to a husband who's we're both very utilitarian. We describe it, and so it's almost like a a practice. It's like, no, this is true. This is true. I'm not doing this for other people. I'm doing this for me, mm. which is very utilitarian. Mm. <laughs> it is not the latest and greatest. I mean, coming into you know, it's it's eclectic. You know, I mean, it's us, and that's kind of a, a small way, but it is important to me because it's like, no, this is a discipline of I don't perform here. Mm. I don't perform here, and if take it as it comes, because honestly, if I'm gonna, and that's also a place a way of self care of like letting myself downshift. It's so hard, I think, for threes to rest. And so for me, it's been this act of very intentionally in a few areas of my life, the practice of this is not an area where I'm going to try to excel this. And, and honestly, it is excelling because it's excelling at the art of being really pragmatic and really utilitarian in certain pockets of my life in a way that is not to impress others. It's a way to care for myself. Yeah. This is something I don't do. And not apologizing for that is the other mm-hmm. thing, kind of owning it versus apologizing for it. So that was sort of the first phase. It's like, okay, you know, oh yeah, I just haven't had time to get my house in order and like the latest and greatest trends and all the things. And then it's like, no, I just choose to stay very simple Mm -hmm. and brass tacks. And this is what I do because it's good for me and my soul. Well, let me ask this. Like you talk, you've used the word utilitarian a lot. Do you also have a fair portion of home life that is not utilitarian, but very sentimental? Like it's not impressive, it's people don't look at it and go, oh, oh. Ooh, look at that. But when you see that picture, when you pick up that object, when you, you know, it's ugly, you know, it's not impressive. But for you, it, it reminds you of something deeper and truer and better. Jesse, you just nailed it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's a hodge. It's like a patchwork quilt. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. Because it's like that photo that means so much to me or that piece of art that was the first, you know, painting that my son drew or that my kids mom's special items that have come to mean so Mm. much to me it's a beautiful i it is a meaningful potpourri patchwork quilt 
of all the people in my life that I cherish. And that's what matters to me. And it's not the most visually appealing or aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that you drilled down into that. It's a practice of this is what actually matters to me, not this is the appearance of what will make other people say wow mm. yeah 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 i've got a few objects around my house that are just ugly as sin That's they're mean. ugly as sin <laughs> and they they mean so much to me and i'm like i know that people see this I and go what that. is that junk doing but it's it's yeah so one thing we've been talking about is how um, the idea that our desires our deepest desires move us towards beauty so how do you see mm-hmm. your desires pulling you towards beauty, you know, and what is that for you? What is beautiful in your life? The things we just talked about, and that has been the journey, right? The beauty is not the shiny object, Mm -hmm. the veneer Mm -hmm. of the thing, whether it's success, whether it's relationships, whether it's what something looks like, I am learning and it's, it's the spiritual practice of the thing, what's the thing, as Stephen Carter says, I don't know if you know Steve, but the thing beneath the yes. thing, what's, what is actually beautiful. And I, I do this, I use this model therapy called internal family systems. And I like to think of these Enneagram numbers as parts of us. We have an internal family mm-hmm. of parts, mm-hmm. right? And so it's almost hard for me to talk about three without calling it my three part, because what's happened is I, it's the part that's closest to me, right? It's the part yeah. that is always the loudest, always right there, always, no matter how much I work with it. And in this model, you know, I also have learned to gain access to the different parts of me. And what happens is I parent this family that I have inside is that three part of me more quickly says, oh, yeah, right. That is what beauty is. It, you know, it'll immediately go to that to it's pretty, yeah. you know, and then it'll go, which is the superficial thing, which is the this number of books sold or this painting on the wall or, you know, getting rid of that old comforter, as you said, you know, those old comforters are precious, you know, as opposed to, you know, however deep or shallow it might be, right? as opposed to that part of me learning to, to, as I've learned through compassionate self-awareness, not through shaming myself. I just have to get that out there through con- attending. That part of me feels very adolescent sometimes. It's got the, the energy of that bravado, you know, of an adolescent. And it's like, I see you there. I get it. You know, I get it. And I there's no shame in those things. And let's really, really sit for a second and then bring some of these other parts of me online. What is really beautiful here? And that part of me listens. It listens now. It's learned to trust me and partnership with God's spirit to go, what is really beautiful here? What's really beautiful here is this family and this this home that we've created that honors all the different parts of our family. Look at the success. If you want to talk about success, real success that we've had here in not only navigating these successful, beautiful relationships, but honoring people who've come before, people who've passed away from my own family, from my immediate family, in my work, you know, let's look at, let's talk about this in turn. What is really success? Is it the number of books sold or is it the lives that we've touched? Let's look at the come. And it's an invitation, right? This is the spiritual practice. Come sit with me, child, you know, because these are young parts of us so often. Come sit with me and look. It's not so much about those numbers, those stats. Look at these people that that we, through this industriousness and through some of this work ethic, have, and, and through some of this desire, look at who, what we've done. And there's always a little bit of we could do more, but then I try to shift that to, you know, it's the whole kind of the humility of that's right, because we are just one person, you know? And, and so this is kind of the inner dialogue, you know, that I, I'm trying to paint a picture of. It's, it's with compassion that you reorient these parts of us that get this this kind of false idea of success or of desire of significance. They're not untra- untrained. You know, we can train them a little bit yeah. to see that bigger picture. And it's such beautiful work as you start to lovingly attune to these parts of ourselves in this way. Mm-hmm. I'm almost thinking of it in these terms, like uh, when we're not healthy, our relationships are in service of our success. But when we're healthy, our success is in service of our relationships. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and when our goals, our aspirations, our pursuits, whenever we flip it and we really make it about our really messed up attempts to fix our own ego issues, yes. then we're going to start hurting the people around us. But if we lean in to these wonderful gifts God has given us, always with this focal point of 
how can I use my gifts to love the people around me, to honor the Lord, and to love people? Well, okay, well, now we're on to something. That's the thing we actually yes. want. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so good. But we can't bypass the process of getting there because if we bypass that three part of us, it'll hijack us. You know, it'll be yeah. like, no, we really, you know, we have to, that, that, that's why it's a process, I think, of reintegrating these parts of us to help them understand what is real significance. Again, not to shame the desire, but to expand it and deepen it and align it with who we really are and who God is. Yes. Because that's that's the truth. I believe that to be the truth. Yes. It's just that that part of me sometimes is the part of me that needs a little more gentle realigning, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, going back to something that Lindsay sort of, you know, talked about earlier, I think that um, so often, you know, we as three, we're fine with feeling some emotions for a minute, but we typically don't want to sit in it for a super long time. You know, threes are tend Mm -hmm. to be sort of emotionally repressed. And to your point of what you just talked about of do sort of doing the work and identifying, okay, what's really going on and there's a sense in which we have to grieve the losses. We've got to grieve the ways in which when we were young, we felt insignificant or we felt worthless or we felt our value was debatable. It was up for auction. Like there's a sense in which we got to grieve that because if we don't, we will because we are very good at we will go do the dog and pony show for everybody mm-hmm. and we will kill it exactly. and we will get it and we will still go home very lonely and very hollow. Yeah. And so yes. uh, there is a sense in which, you know, if you're listening to this and you've got a lot of three, it doesn't matter if you're a core three or not, you have a lot of three, grieve those losses. Because if you yes. don't, the consequences get a lot bigger the older you get. Yeah, I would say no matter what your core type is. Yeah. You might grieve something mm-hmm. different yeah. than what a three would grieve, but that that is the process. Like, it's so hard as we're getting into this, like, middle age to be like, oh, the work. Everybody's like, what is the work? I'm like, actually, the work is grieving all the things that just haven't worked. Yeah. All the ways that your mm-hmm. life has reflected the brokenness of creation and the not yet of mm-hmm. the already not yet. All those things are the things we have to grieve again and again. To then, mm. so that they don't control us, and we can move past them. Yeah, and then and shout then, out to my counselor. Yeah, yeah. for teaching me that. <laughs> uh, but but then and then good desire comes out of that. Yes. Then all of a sudden yes. we can reimagine life, and you can see again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because honestly, my vision for much of my thirties has been clouded with so much grief. It's like a fog. You know, you can't even see mm-hmm. through it to know what your real desires are, and so. Yeah, I think that that rings really, really true. Well, and one of the things that I think is really helpful in that process, I love what you're saying, is to go back. This is the therapist in me, but I also do this work in my own life, is to go back. So I went back, and I talk about this in the best of you, I went back to that sixth grade girl mm-hmm. who wanted to play the queen of hearts where there's so much shame and so much pain around the failure of you know crumbling on stage. It's not. So this is the pseudo fix. The pseudo fix is you go get them, girl. You know, it's it's not that. That's the fault fix. It's going back and being with her. It's that withness, right? It's being with her, not saying, you know, as we go back and grieve, not giving her a false thing of you're fine. You didn't need that anyway, which or saying it's okay just to be nobody because neither of those things is what she needs. It's being with her in the pain and then gently taking her by the hand and saying, Let's try it again. And almost through the power of your imagination saying, what would it be like to just be in this moment, who you really are, how you really feel and not be alone Mm -hmm. in it, Mm -hmm. to be seen in it, you know, which is the thing Mm -hmm. that you actually want. And the more and more and more these these parts of us, right, these where we have these painful memories, we, we go back and we sort of you know, grief work is, is also being, pre- is presence, mm. going back and being present to that younger version of us, to that memory in this, from this place where we are now, where we can be with ourselves without sort of talking ourselves out of it or, you know, all these things that we try to do, but just saying, yeah, I'm with you in it. You can kind of feel in your body and in your emotion and even in that memory, what it would have felt like. To have that corrective experience at 
that moment in time. And it's just beautiful healing work. And I think that is part of this. We, we almost get at that desire at the scene of the crime, if you mm-hmm. will, and have that corrective experience. And that, that to me is sort of the power of where you bring our faith. We bring, you know, the spirituality. We bring the power of what C.S. Lewis called our baptized imagination, you know, where we bring the power of the Holy Spirit into the recreation of that memory where we don't try to eradicate it. We feel it. And even as we're feeling it, even as we're accessing it, we are simultaneously bringing the power of God's presence and what we know to be true now into that painful memory. And so there's two things going on. We're both grieving and we're also bringing the benefit of perspective of what we know to be true now into that scene. And it's just so powerful that that type of healing and releasing these old burdens, these old pains that thwart our desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're you're nailing it. I, about seven years ago, I had this experience. I was on a retreat and I started going back through a variety of very painful memories. And in those memories, mm-hmm. you know, again, probably holy imagination. I don't know what you call it. But in those memories, I suddenly had this sense that Jesus was present in the room with me in mm. those moments. And so in those moments in which I was feeling, you know, a variety of things, one of which was feeling insignificant, I now, literally now, when I think of those moments, Jesus is in those moments with me, and he's telling mm-hmm. me that I'm significant, even though other people were not. And so, mm-hmm. um, so again, like, I just think of dignity is bestowed, mm-hmm. you know, it is given mm-hmm. to us as a yes. gift. It's not something that we yes. can, we cannot earn it. In all of our three ways of doing things, and in mm-hmm. our attempt to earn it, no. it is no, it is bestowed, which also means it can never be taken. That's right. Okay. Well, we have all like had a lot of very serious conversation. <laughs> yes. We are now due for some ridiculousness. Uh, so stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing lie detector with Dr. Allison Cook. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. Jesse Eubanks. Kiana Brown. Wait, what? Oh, you said we were playing a game about lying, so I just oh, thought I'd yeah, have okay. a different name. Oh, that was good. That yeah. was good. You just, mostly I felt confused. But, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, it's not Kiana Brown. That's Lindsay Lewis. Uh, threes are known for their vice of deceit. But today, we are going to <laughs> leverage that for everyone's entertainment. So now it's time for Lie Detector. Okay, here's how it works. Both of you have been given three prompts with blanks for you to fill in. Each of those prompts is designated for you to fill in with either a truth or a lie. You both may have been given all lies or all truths or a mixture of both. Uh, Each of you will take a turn reading your prompt and your answer with the goal of tricking your opponent. After reading your prompt, You can also add a sentence or two to give us context for your claim. Your opponent then has to cast their vote. Do they think you're telling the truth or do they think you're telling a lie? If they're correct, they get one point. If they're wrong, they don't get any points. The person with the most points at the end of three rounds wins. Are you both ready to play? Yes. I'm excited. Yes. And I have horrible ADD, so please both keep your own scores because I won't remember <laughs> anything. So, uh, okay. So, Lindsay Lewis, we're going to let you go first. Okay. 
I hate to admit it, but I actually love the TV show Star Trek. So when I was growing up, TV was not like a free-for-all like it is now, like tons of channels. We just had a few channels, and it was very dictated by my parents what would be watched and what would not be watched. So around, you know, 7 p.m. every night, not every night, but every night that it came on, they were watching Star Trek. So you could either watch Star Trek or go entertain yourself in your room. So over the years, you know, it really grew on me. We watched Deep Space Nine. We went into the Voyager. And then in adulthood, the movies came out. And that really just sealed the deal. Trekkie for life. Okay. Allison, do you vote truth or do you vote lie? Lie. Oh, you're right. <laughs> all of that is true, except for I hated all of it. <laughs> oh, but it was all true? All that That's is true. That's exactly what I said. Yes, I wa- I've watched every episode of Star Trek, Deep Space Holy Nine, Holy smokes. Voyager. I would never have guessed that in a thousand years. I thought that years. I knew saying those would really fool you because I knew the names of them. Well, that's what was really confusing <laughs> for me. Jesse knows that I hate all that kind of stuff. I <laughs> so thought, he's looking at me like, what I was heck? like, holy smokes, she's a sociopath. She can lie <laughs> at levels that I did not know were possible. Nope, it's a lie. You're right. Oh my I gosh. do not enjoy Star Trek that much. Okay. All right. So... <laughs> Allison gets one point. She gets a point, okay. even though that was a great story. That it was, was really good. It. That was impressive. It was good. It was impressive. Yeah, good job. Allison, your turn. Um, I once got my entire leg stuck in a waterfall. I grew up in a small town in Wyoming. We would go to the this cabin we have in the mountains where we enter to uh, down a river every summer. And I was very young. I think I was maybe fifth or sixth grade on an inner tube and there was like a little waterfall and the just it just pulled me in right at the foot of the waterfall. I kind of started spinning around and my leg, the bottom half of my leg got stuck in all the branches and I someone had to come and pull me out and I was very scared and cold and maybe I didn't almost die, but almost. <laughs> we felt like it at the moment. Um, okay, Lindsay Lewis, do you vote truth or do you vote lie? Man, I feel like I'm going to just vote truth for everything because I don't know. So I guess I'll say, mm, I don't really see there being branches at the bottom of a waterfall, though. I hate being wrong. I'll say lie. Okay, Allison, reveal your answer. You're right. Oh, You're right. <laughs> Good job. Yes. I would have said truth. Everything was true except for getting stuck. Okay. Uh, so basically what I'm learning We're great is liars. that you <laughs> both are skeptical of all the other human beings, and you're both good liars. So, uh, okay, Let's see here. Uh, Lindsay, back to you. Okay. One time, I threw up on my toddler's mouth. Oh, my. (laughs) That's disgusting. That is disgusting. So you know how when you have small children, they get sick all the time. Like, you pay for them to go to child care. They get sick. They bring it home. And two days after they get well, the parents get sick and the other siblings get sick. Jesse can vouch for me that we have been sick a lot in the last year. We've had COVID three times. We have the stomach bug. And so we're just like uh, Pokemon cards. You have collected them all. (laughs) We this summer were trading around this COVID slash stomach bug complex. And I have a toddler who is definitely three. And she had had it, but she was well. My husband went out of town. I had it. I was trying to parent in the midst of being sick. She was throwing a tantrum, and I was trying to calm her down before I ran to the bathroom, but I did not make it, and some of the throw-up did land on my toddler. Well, that's horrible on multiple levels. It's gross. So, Allison, do you vote truth or lie? I vote truth on that one. You just made her so happy. (laughs) She is so happy. (laughs) Nope. It was all true, except for I did not throw up. Uh, wait, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what, 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 what? Like, I was super sick, and we oh, yeah. were super uh-huh. sick, and we did trade it back and forth, and I did have to parent her with Dreda Town while I was super sick, but I just had, like, really high fever. Both of your all's approach to this is very... Like, tell someone a great story could, Someone and could have analyzed it. it. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, literally exactly. both of you go, 95% exactly. of what I'm telling exactly. you is true, except this one piece... You just demystified it. That's the art. But that was such a bold lie that I really was like, who would make that up? <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> she she committed. She really stuck it. Well, I really know. do have a toddler and we really have been so sick. So it's not 
outside my imagination no, I, that yeah. that could happen. <laughs> yeah, both of those are very believable, yeah. That was good. Uh, okay, uh, Allison, your turn. As a kid, I had a poster in my room of Rick Springfield. I actually had many posters of Rick Springfield. I was obsessed. Uh, we would go roller skating and listen to Jesse's Girl and all the other mm-hmm. great classics. And that was my poster of choice. Sidebar, uh, my wife's uh, MySpace handle back in the day was Jesse's Girl. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. So, uh, Whoa. Yeah. Like before she knew she was going to marry you? No, 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 no. no. My, how old do you think I am, Lindsay? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, she had a MySpace when you were grownups? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to stop there before before we battle each other. Okay, I vote uh, truth. You vote, you vote truth. I'll vote okay. truth. It's a lie. I ah! wanted desperately <laughs> to have posters of Rick Springfield in my room, but my mom wouldn't let me. Same. Really? I was not allowed to have boy posters no, in my room. No, me neither. I tried yeah. to put up uh, yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas was who it was. Oh, okay. And my mom's like, why is that on your wall? Where did you get it? Take it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. We each have a point. JTT, he was so dreamy. He was, man. Um, Home improvement. Um, okay, back to you, Lindsay. <laughs> okay. The craziest storm I have ever been in was when I was in the third or fourth grade. We lived in, like, North Texas. Not, like, the Panhandle, but, like, the other part of North Texas. And that's, like, the tail end of Tornado Alley. So when I was young, we had a lot of, like, smaller tornadoes or you know, near misses. And my dad, though, his approach to a tornado was, oh, there's a tornado on the radar. Let's go outside. <laughs> and so we'd all go outside and like watch the sky turn green and purple. And we've literally been caught in tornadoes like in restaurants because my dad just is not scared of the weather. So this particular storm from our backyard, we could kind of see it a neighborhood over. It was just kind of a small one, but it was touching the ground. And we knew like, oh my gosh, that's a real tornado. So real quick, I ran inside and I had this collection of porcelain dolls and then also my like dolls I played with. And I lined them all up on my daybed and I shared the gospel with each one of them. And then I gave them each a kiss, wrapped them in blankets and put them under my bed until the storm was over. Oh, my gosh. Allison needs to do some therapy work with you, Lindsay. That's really I'm sweet. Concerned. I'm concerned. Here's the difference. You, you, she says that's sweet, and I'm like, what is going on in this situation? Oh, my gosh. You're a caretaker. You were worried about those dogs. So, so uh, Allison, uh, so truth, or is there a 5% lie somewhere in this? I, I'm going to go with by the odds on this one and say this one has to be true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guess true. <laughs> oh my god! It was a great story, but mostly I was. I'm going with the odds. Are there's got to be one? Yeah, the odds. There. Yes. Oh my gosh. See, I wouldn't lie about Jesus, Jesse. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um. Okay. I love this game. Uh, this is my favorite one. Uh, I'll, I'm really glad to hear that. Okay, Allison, back to you. This is it. This is for all the marbles. All right. The best place that I've ever snuck into was my okay my high school pop machines on pop machines in the west i was the student body i think i was a student body treasurer and my best friend was the student body president we were really kind of good clean kids and we snuck in uh, during our senior week to the pop machine in the cafeteria and put beer in it what? And we this I, was this was unexpected. I don't even care if this story is true or not. I love this story. We only put four. We were really good kids. Like we were like <laughs> those kids that nobody would ever expect. But we had the keys to the kingdom. It was our job every week for student council to go open up the pot machines and count all the pot machine money, which was funded the student council and all the work that we did. And we just oh. thought this was the funniest joke we could ever do. It was the last week of our senior year. We were like, who would ever, nobody would ever suspect us. We went and put beer in the pot machine and it was the last week of school. So nobody would find it till the fall. I mean, it was the perfect crime. And sure enough, nobody, <laughs> we, we told people. And we also like knew, like, because we had a lot of the trust of the teachers and stuff. But that, that is my story. Yes. Some 15 year old freshman I had know. quite a day. I know. One I know. Day. <laughs> they, they did. 
they, when they when they put the money in the pot machine and out came oh the my gosh oh my gosh childhood ended for them that day that was that was the end of it uh so Lindsay. all right i'm gonna i'm gonna play the odds game as well i'm gonna say true you're saying true mm-hmm. okay it is true. Yeah, it is true. I feel kind of bad amazing. about it. A part of me is like, I can't share this. But it was really fun. We had a lot of fun. With and it. you didn't get caught. Like, they never knew it was you. No, I mean, it came out like that next fall. Sure enough, exactly as you said, some freshman, <laughs> you know, got it. and Amazing. And then That's we, kinda, incredible. we fessed up and, and told it, but they just laughed because it was, oh my didn't, gosh. <laughs> thankfully, that nobody got hurt. kills me. You could oh not do gosh. that today, P.S. Like that. No, well, you couldn't do it then either, no. but she did it anyway. <laughs> no, but back then it'd be like, oh, a little beer among kids. It's fine. Nobody got hurt. <laughs> uh, it's just like, but now we'll be like, we have to prosecute you. Uh, so, ladies, uh, did my ADD uh, count correctly? Was it a tie? It's a tie. It's a tie. It's a tie. Well, we're very similar liars. <laughs> I hereby W lying twinsies. Twinsies. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for 11 quick questions. Okay, so this is how this works. So we're going to ask you 11 questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we just say, just go with your gut. Okay. Okay, Lindsay, kick us off. Okay, number one. Where is a place where you feel relaxed? Uh, The mountains. What is a food that you hate? Uh, Sauerkraut. (laughs) Mm. Good choice. I like sauerkraut. What stirs up joy? My family. What stirs up sadness? My dog who tore her ACL recently. Mm. What is the last book that you read and enjoyed? Grit by Angela Duckworth. Mm. Mm-hmm. What is the last book that you read and you did not enjoy? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I have to think <laughs> about that one. Um... What about in high school? Oh, well, that makes it a little bit easier. Thank you. Uh, I was just thinking of all the books I've read. I've read a lot recently. A lot of them I didn't enjoy, but I don't want to say. I mean, I guess I'm going to just go with Shakespeare. I try and just can't. Yeah. I hear you. All right. Number seven, if you could own an unusual pet, what would it be? A giraffe. Nice. Uh, what is your coffee shop order? A medium green tea latte. Unsweetened. Mm. What is one personal vice that you want to get rid of? Indecision. What is one thing you would convince the world of if you could? That God is a God of healing. Hmm. And what is a current desire that you have? To heal myself and bring healing resources to other people in an affordable way. (laughs) Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Well, Allison, we've really enjoyed this. Thank you yes. so much for joining us and just for sharing all of your your wisdom and your life experience and and really modeling for uh, for folks that have a lot of this type three quality that this is what the journey looks like. Mm-hmm. This is what the work looks like. This is what it looks like to name your desires, but also to keep your desires within uh, you know a healthy, reasonable set of expectations. And so, we're just so grateful for everything that you've brought to our folks today. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. I love what you're doing here. I love the depth that you bring to the Enneagram and, and the fun, both. I, I love it. It's just a it's just a wonderful <laughs> show and I so enjoyed being here with you. Well, thanks. Yeah, we are equal opportunists. We like to yeah. bring depth and stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's fun. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Allison Cook. Listen, check out Allison's recent book, The Best of You. You can pick that up wherever it is that you buy good books. Also, head over to her website at drallisoncook.com. That's drallisoncook.com. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram and also about desire. 
You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. Experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. Grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being a part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. <laughs>